Hallo, Test, Test. Test, Test. Gut, gut. Moin, moin. Hallo, everybody, and welcome to the 15th episode of the Bad Moto GP Show. Unfortunately, I have some bad news, which is uh, I recorded the episode with uh, Maddie Scordia. Maddie is a MotoGP journalist and she shared a lot of insights and it was a really, really uh, interesting conversation I had with her. Unfortunately, uh, I wanted to switch uh, platforms because I graduated from university right now and uh, yeah, so I don't have a free Zoom account anymore. So I uh, thought, okay, I wanted to make a switch uh, anyways. Um, because the framing in Zoom isn't necessarily the best, in my opinion. So I decided to switch to Riverside FM. And uh, when I recorded the podcast, it actually only recorded me and my audio and not Maddie's, which is, in my opinion, very stupid. But yeah, at the end, it's my fault. I should have uh, tested this before and uh, came in prepared better. But It is what it is. You make mistakes, you learn from it. And therefore, I'm sitting here by myself and trying to uh, recap the whole thing. And uh, yeah, I just wanted to give you my insights, uh, first of all, uh, of the Red Bull Ring, because as you may have seen, I went there uh, live to enjoy the races. And yeah, we have to talk about sprint races. We have to talk about Dorna and their um, yeah, incredibly stupid marketing campaign and whatever they're trying to achieve with the sprint races um yeah there have been news about uh remy and ktm a potential exit from MotoGP for him and ktm bringing up uh, augusto fernandez so if you want to hear my thoughts on this and uh, as well the races of course so basically those are the topics that uh, i would like to recap by myself hopefully you uh You don't mind that this time this is a monologue and not a conversation. But yeah, hopefully it works. So uh, basically the Red Bull Ring, I can recommend it to every fan out there. It's not necessarily my favorite track because in my opinion the layout is quite boring. I prefer tracks like Reth or uh, like Mugello for example. But uh, from a fan experience it's very good. We sat at the uh, first chicane, or at the new chicane. It's the second and third corner. I believe it's called 2A and 2B right now. And uh, from there on, you can see the riders exiting turn one and obviously going through the chicane and um, also the entry into turn three. Then for a while, you don't see them when they had to turn four. But coming out of turn four, those two or three uh, left-handers you can see again and then they disappear in the distance so you can see a fair amount of racing it's uh, good basically i would say from a percentage percentage perspective english is a difficult language yeah from a percentage i fucked it up again it's late i hope you don't mind um yeah from a uh, um From a percentage of what you can see from the track, I would say it's, it's yeah, it's maybe like her ass. Uh, the best one's definitely Valencia, but uh, there are tracks where you see uh, not so much as well. So 
I can recommend it. It's well organized. The parking was very good. We had no traffic at the highway. We were directed to our parking and headed to the track on Friday, which was uh, very, very good. Uh, fortunately, uh, I worked for a company last year that uh, sponsoring a little bit at the Red Bull Ring. So they gave uh, me for Saturday and for Sunday, uh, like the it's I believe it's the bus parking, um, but you can basically go to directly to the track, which is right next to the fan zone um, at turn one. So we hadn't um, uh, we were, we didn't need to uh, we didn't need to walk uh, so long for, to get to the track. But yeah, also the normal parking works brilliantly. The Red Bull really knows how to organize an event, and also there were um, concession stands which were good, mostly toilets everywhere for free. You could basically enjoy the race. What uh, was a little bit stupid that. Uh, a security member came to us uh, and said we uh, weren't allowed to use umbrellas because they're too dangerous. I have never experienced uh, a dangerous umbrella in my life, but yeah, every every time they think of something new uh, in Portugal, you weren't allowed to bring food into the into the track in in Valencia. You weren't allowed to eat on the grandstands. Yeah, it is what it is, you know. But uh, yeah, generally, I can only uh, recommend the Red Bull Ring. It's, it has been very good. The, um, the behavior of the fans was uh, good. I mean, there was one instance uh, where a drunk guy was necess not necessarily uh, yeah, a gentleman to my girlfriend. But it sucks that uh, people like this exist. But I guess you can't fault the Red Bull Ring for it. It's not like the same uh, amount of idiots like in Aston where it's like a cultural problem. It's like one drunk idiot, which is uh, a topic in itself. I would like to discuss uh, with Medi probably uh, someday, which is uh, the general experience uh, women have in the paddock and in the at the races from a sexual harassment standpoint. And yeah. But that's uh, not the point I'm trying to make uh, in this episode. But just to uh, tease you a little bit, this one's coming up. Uh, should be rather interesting. And um, yeah, there's nothing uh, really more to say. The Red Bull Ring is a really, really solid race. I can only recommend it. Uh, if you ever want to go to a MotoGP race and are here in the area, Assen, not so much. Sachsen Ring, uh, I've never been there. And yeah, Misano is also very good. Jerez uh, is very good. Valencia is very good. Portugal. <coughs> Excuse me. Uh, Portugal is a little bit uh, tricky, but yeah, I would definitely recommend Valencia, Jerez, Misano, and Austria. Those are by far my favorite. And Austria is up there. It's a good race. And yeah, during the during the weekend, we had the uh, news that uh, there will be sprint races next year in MotoGP, which uh, is, in my opinion, uh, very stupid because it's like a quick fix solution to a bigger problem. When we uh, think of MotoGP over the last, yeah, I would say last 10 years, we came from a series which had uh, CRT bikes because only Honda and Yamaha were competitive 
due to the um, financial crisis of 2008. Kawasaki pulled out and Suzuki pulled out. Ducati wasn't necessarily competitive. So we have the four factory bikes uh, who were fighting for the championship and then the uh, satellite teams who were also good. But apart from that, MotoGP was uh, basically shit. It was boring, but you know, Donna did a fairly good job to um, to get MotoGP out of this uh, dark hole. But uh, now they they are in a good situation where they had uh, or where they right now have five manufacturers, and um, yeah, they or is it six? Let me think. Aprilia, Ducati, KTM, Yamaha, Honda, and Suzuki. Now it's six. I'm sorry. Next year it will be five. Uh, with the Suzuki in, uh, exit, they have uh, six manufacturers. They have a very very even playing field where basically everybody uh, can uh, score a podium which is very good very interesting but uh, somehow they managed to still fuck it up because we don't have close racing anymore it's like formula one in uh, yeah last season the season before that we have dirty air we can't uh, follow uh, each other then uh, we have uh, the right height devices which make it further difficult because of front tire pressures all those things are like the big issues of MotoGP I would say right now from a racing perspective and uh, sprint races definitely aren't the solution to those problems and also we have uh, next season when we have 20 races like this season 40 races for the riders i can't imagine how difficult it is from a physical perspective to even race one race and fabio uh, said after the race that he's basically doing uh, qualifying laps every every lap in the race and it was so exhausting and then uh, to hear from camelo espeleta uh, jorge viergas the FIM president, I believe that's his name, and Hervé Porcheral, that they basically decided this without any consent from the riders and uh, were like, okay, fuck it, we will do sprint races, deal with it, uh, we have the power, you don't, which, yeah, isn't, uh, in my opinion, the way to handle business. Maybe this is the start of a MotoGP Riders Association, maybe the riders can find together to build unity, and uh, it would be, in my opinion, very beneficial to have a riders uh, association, a manufacturers association and a Dorna FIM association. And those interests have to um, agree to, or those parties have to agree to a major rule change like this. So uh, yeah, sprint races ain't gonna cut it. It will make life uh, very very difficult for riders and yeah i mean there are a lot of people who compare uh, superbike to MotoGP. first of all superbike has uh, fewer races i believe 30 36 races in a season and also a superbike is with no offense to the riders but not as difficult to ride as a MotoGP ride, a bike from a physical perspective because uh, i actually looked this up Loris Bass, who was a um, was a four sprint races, who said, "Okay, ri racers crying about racing, blah blah blah." You can see it on Twitter. Um, it was 
in my opinion, a little bit embarrassing because when he rode in MotoGP, he was on the back of the grid on the Vincia Ducati and uh, he was four seconds slower in qualifying in Jerez in 2017 than Peko was right now. And you have to imagine four seconds, even though, yes, you have more power, you have ride height devices, yada, 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 but it's still physically exhausting. When you can br uh, can brake later, when you can accelerate fast, it's, it's just more physical. And when riders like Fabio or Aleish come out and say they don't like the idea, it's stupid, it's too uh, dangerous, it's too, um, too much to ask for, then a rider who is like four seconds slower at his best um judging about it i don't know if uh that's necessarily the smartest idea by him but yeah he's entitled to have an opinion i have a different one i would suggest to listen to riders who actually know how to ride the modern moto gp bikes and uh yeah we are potentially looking at even more races because i have heard rumors about moto gp going to brazil MotoGP, uh, of course, Finland is uh, in the mix. Uh, Turkey is apparently in the mix. And um, a new one, which was pretty interesting, is Kazakhstan. Because uh, one member of Dorna, I would actually have to find out who exactly that is, has uh, connections to, um, to Kazakhstan. And it wouldn't be surprising. But yeah, I don't believe we will get three or four... Uh, new races next year but let's say it's one or two it's like finland and turkey which to me are the most uh, probable then we still have 22 regular races and 22 sprint races i mean the downsides in my opinion are uh, overweighing the upsides but yeah i made a tweet about it let me quickly let me quickly uh, look it up because uh, it's easier to read out, uh, which basically uh, lays down the pros and cons uh, of sprint races, where uh, to me a cons is we have more stress on the riders' bodies, obviously. Uh, I would say that a rider who, ha who suffers maybe from arm pump, which was actually uh, kind of interesting to see uh, live at the Red Bull Ring. You don't see this stuff on TV that a lot of riders were uh, holding their forearms uh, in the, after the race on the cool down lap. And as Fabio said, it's so physically demanding to ride those MotoGP bikes that I can't really uh, understand how someone who never has ridden in the life can come out and say oh no they can do a double the amount of race it's no problem we have more risk of injuries i mean the first 10 laps of a race are usually the most dangerous ones because uh, we have to start we have everything so compressed and um yeah just look at uh, catalonia where takaka nakagami dive bombed into the first corner shit like this happens uh, if you want or not and it's too dangerous to uh, to have like double the risk of those first three laps where everything is so condensed and then when you have sprint races everybody's going uh, all out qualifying becomes even more important because you don't have the time to make uh, up the lost time uh, you have on the start when you start uh, further back so it's uh, very, very risky, in my opinion. 
and uh, also points are a little bit inflationary because when you imagine you uh, trail someone in the championship by let's say let's say like uh, Aleish I believe it's uh, 32 points or whatever like 30 points and you know you only have five races to make up the 40 points you will push much more than uh, when you know you have 10 races because you know okay I can be a little bit more uh, I would say responsible with my risk taking and uh, make these points up uh, when the situation occurs so I believe it will actually take a little bit out of the urge to overtake a little bit out of the urge to make or to score points and to make more out of, out of your race because you have simply more of it there's no need when you can make it up later on you know um, and we have higher costs especially uh, when you consider the manufacturers who have to uh, provide the engines and the bikes um, and yeah they said in the press conference that basically uh, the track time is the same yeah but the stress on a MotoGP bike in a 10 lap race is much higher than in free practice four you know and uh, also the risk of crashes more uh, often than not people crash in the race and not in fp4 so you have more uh, cost to repair those bikes to uh, yeah to basically there uh, i believe takaka nakagami and alex marcus for sure but a couple of people who um, had to uh, put an engine uh, to the side because they um they destroyed it in a crash and imagine this happens like uh, a few times over a season where you have double the amount of races but still only the same components um yeah it's in my opinion even though it's the same track time more costs more potential costs because there are so many things that you have to consider uh, when you compare an fp3 and fp4 session to a sprint race and uh, yeah there's less time to practice Practice is important because you have to set up the bike, you have to um, get comfortable on the bike on the track and when you don't have enough practice, especially when it comes to rookies, but in general, you have um, you aren't as secure on a bike. So it's like the basic uh, thing, uh, practice makes perfect. Uh, this, uh, um, this is like in every situation in life. So the more you practice, the more safely you can do it like drive a motorcycle on the street the first time you do it it will be more dangerous and you f will feel less comfortable than after 100 times and same with the MotoGP bike when you don't feel 100 uh, percent confident on your bike and uh, you don't have the perfect setup for it it may cause chaos yes but it could also um, lead to lead to crashes or lead to whatever where we are uh, back at the more risk uh, of injuries point i mentioned earlier and uh, yeah we have uh, at the moment fairly boring races because uh, yeah a couple of races were good this season but the field isn't as compressed they are spread out and even live you you can see these uh, things more clearly than on tv because you see the bikes coming uh, by with like a half second one second but they aren't battling you know and it's due to the front tire pressures it's due to the error what uh, i mentioned earlier and therefore you don't add much excitement if the races are still boring you know 
if you have uh, if you take the red bull ring for example the first 10 laps weren't necessarily the most interesting it got interesting later on when fabio called up and fabio did fabio stuff um but yeah more boring races won't fix the boring races problem you know and uh yeah the actual problems aren't fixed with this on and uh, yeah we have less anticipation for the main race so let's imagine uh, you are a new fan who isn't balls deep into model gp and you watch the sprint race and you're like it was okay um you already have seen a race and maybe you don't feel the need to see one race um see the main race and uh, a good uh, example for this is like the super bowl or the nba finals we have uh, in the NBA Finals uh, a maximum of seven games. And when you miss game two, you don't really care because like, you can still watch game three. But the Super Bowl is only one time. Same with the MotoGP race. There's only one race. And therefore, I like the idea that the premier class of uh, MotoGP comes a little bit at a premium with only one race. And it's not, um, it's not necessarily uh, the best thing in my opinion to just have more races more races won't fix anything uh, where we come to the only positive for me which is like money donna will make a lot of money uh, from the sprint races because people would rather watch sprint races than uh, fp4 for example and uh, yeah more tv time more sponsors you name it and donna is apparently not in a very good uh, state financially because of the uh, COVID. Uh, thing where they managed to uh, to put on races uh, and had like a good two years but uh, still money is missing and they tried to recover this so badly but it's it's crazy to me because Dorna officially and Medi pointed this out officially is a marketing uh, company but they do everything wrong when it comes to marketing that's play with the races i mean do we really need 23 24 races or uh, would it be uh, would it be more interesting to have a maximum of 20 races i mean i could live uh, i could live very well with uh, with 18 for example and uh, there are in my opinion no need for four races in spain and uh, one race in portugal because actually when i went to portugal the interest was absolutely zero i know it's the uh, it's like the the second race in portugal they had the first race uh, where fabio won and the second race at the end of the season where Pekka won that's the one one i went to so maybe the interest wasn't uh, as great because of this but when you have like so many races in such a small uh, area people will be like okay i don't need to go to uh, portugal i can go to her her so i would say keep the portugal one and have like one or two races in spain but yeah just uh you don't need to flood the market with races just uh, put it uh, at a little bit of a premium and uh, condense the season a little bit so uh, and pick out the good events i don't know about the overseas events i can only speak for the uh, european events uh, which i mentioned where i was earlier but um, yeah just pick out the events that were good for for the fans which were good for the manufacturers in my opinion there's also no need to race in qatar because you don't have a market where uh, motorcycle manufacturers 
um, can sell motorcycles because the market isn't necessarily as big. The fan uh, culture there isn't the best. When you um, compare it with Formula One, most of the fans in uh, in the Arabic countries, which was especially in Abu Dhabi last year, um, there are Europeans who just travel there. So, yeah, just to make it for money, I don't really know if that's uh, really the best thing, but okay, it is what it is. But uh, also when it comes to promoting the sport, because Dorna is an actual marketing company, but they fail to market everything. They are owned... They own MotoGP since 1994, I believe. And they developed it to a certain point, but now they don't know how to use the internet. They aren't interacting uh, with fans. Instead, they shut fan accounts down. I mean, my old account was shut down. Um, GP Sillies had uh, videos taken down, which she recorded in the pit lane. So she recorded with her own phone videos of her experience at the MotoGP race in uh, in Austin, and they were taken taken down. There are a number of um, there are a number of um, here instances like this where Dorna just takes them down. Actually, Dorna doesn't even take them down. It's uh, La Liga. They uh, they hired La Liga to enforce the copyright rules. Uh, so yeah i don't necessarily know if that's the case uh, if that's the best uh, case scenario i'm sorry i'm very sure that this is the case <laughs> so um yeah dorn is an absolute disaster because they don't know how to how to promote the series they are running out of money which they showed desperately with the sprint races they don't plan uh, things uh, through they don't consult the riders when it comes to those things and in general Dorna is very very resistant to uh, constructive criticism um, there are stories of people coming to Dorna and saying hey why don't you do this 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 would be much better and they're just getting laughed at you know and um, for example Dorna is charging uh, media companies so much money that they are allowed to cover their sport which is absolutely ridiculous if you want to go to the paddock if you want to interview riders if you want to do this and do basically free advertising for Dorna and MotoGP you have to pay them so much money that it's that it's not yeah it's not um, valuable if you're a media company so look at it uh, who is really um, who's really reporting on MotoGP you don't see it like on Yahoo for example and uh, yeah when you when you see press conferences at uh, other sporting events for example the UFC makes a great great job with this they have the press conference where you um, where you can sit as a fan see the press conference the media um, talks to the uh, fighters and then afterwards the fans can ask questions it's really entertaining um, because they are there the fighters are interacting differently with each other MotoGP is rather boring and uh, also the the fan experience is much more the tension the anticipation for the fights it's so huge when you involve the fans but the MotoGP press conference are held in a tiny room where uh, barely the media fits in and um, when you, I could highly recommend the sprint racing 
the sprint racing press conference to you i don't know if it's on youtube but it's uh, for sure on the model gp video pass it's so embarrassing the way uh Camilo Espeleta and uh, Jorge Viegas and uh, Hervé Porcheral interacted with the media, where the media members asked very good questions, in my opinion, and the uh, responses were just uh, very embarrassing, like, in a way where, you, where you're like, no, we do this because uh, we have the power and you don't, shut the fuck up, you don't know what you're talking about. Basically, this, uh, this was the the feeling I got uh, watching the press conference. Actually, I made a tweet about this as well, which kind of sums it up. Um, where I said the questions at the sprint race conferences were very good. Sprint race uh, press conference were very good, but the answers were just embarrassing. For everybody who didn't watch the summary would be, we don't care about the riders. We didn't discuss the idea with them. We just want to make more money. And yeah that's just uh, embarrassing for me and you could watch it uh, Camelo Espeleta seems like a very very difficult person to uh, work with like very stubborn uh, whatever he thinks is right is right and there's no uh, need for no need for criticism and also like I heard stories of people who applied to MotoGP to be a social media content creator, a marketing team. They all get shut down because they're just trying to save money. When you go there, you uh, get the job and they don't pay you. They hire and fire. It's an absolute disaster. And yeah, maybe the best thing that could happen is Donna going broke because they obviously are desperate for money and uh, then the company and then MotoGP being sold to like Liberty Media who by the way own Formula One and know actually how to promote stuff because you see um, the ratings of MotoGP is so so pathetic during the Silverstone Grand Prix they achieved the same amount of viewers in the United Kingdom than British Superbike when they went to Silverstone. So in the UK, the MotoGP generates the same amount of interest than uh, BSB. The ticket sales were in Silverstone, I believe, on a Sunday. 40,000? 40, 40, yeah, should be 40,000, I don't know. Something around the ballpark, you know, not... Uh, far away from 100,000, you know? And Formula One was like 300,000, maybe 400,000. And I would argue that uh, MotoGP has a better product, even though it's a little bit declining. But uh, yeah, they're still uh, ab absolutely uh, fucking it up when it comes to promoting their product, which is a really, 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 really big shame. Also, uh, when we talk about really big shame, it's... Uh, time to talk about ktm they the common uh the common opinion is that they will uh that they will sack remy in favor of augusto fernandez which makes absolutely no sense for me i mean you probably know that i'm uh cool with remy uh, i like him a lot and i'm a little bit biased there but i'm trying to be as objective uh, as possible uh, which basically uh, means Remy is on an absolute shitbox. He's outperforming his teammate and he has one year of experience uh, right now. So, uh, and he's a world champion. So if you're a KTM, you have 
a writer who gained this experience who I don't know maybe he's difficult to work with you don't know this stuff from the outside only KTM and Remy know but um, yeah so uh, basically he's doing everything he can on this shitbox to uh, be competitive he's beating his teammate who's also a rookie and you could argue that they were on par last year and uh, he isn't that far away from the factory guys who by the way aren't achieving anything on those spikes i mean brad binder had the podium in uh, in qatar and miguel Oliveira had the win in indonesia which was a rain race but apart from those two moments ktm is so far off the pace and um Yeah, to blame a rider for it after just uh, half a season under his belt and fire him uh, isn't, in my opinion, uh, the best way to treat riders, first of all. But it's also, from a business perspective, very, very bad because you have a rider who has has a rookie season, who have learned all this stuff uh, with a lot of practice uh, because this season we have four practice sessions, we have a warm-up, and trying to replace him with a rookie who knows nothing about the bike. I mean, no no offense against Augusto Fernandez, but he will be a rookie and he will have to learn everything Remy learned with only two free practice sessions and a sprint race and a main race where, where it's even more difficult to be a rookie than it's, it is right now. And um, yeah... I don't I don't understand it. It's it's so embarrassing because you have you have Icalicona dropped after I believe two years as the youngest rider at the grid in favor of Raul Fernandez, who was promoted prematurely even though he didn't want to. He wanted to stay in Moto two because he didn't feel like he's ready and there were speculations that he wanted to go to Yamaha, so KTM forced him to move up. Uh, which they announced uh, without the rider's consent. Then uh, Danilo Petrucci was dropped uh, one year into his KTM career after uh, Remy got promoted, which, okay, shit happens. Danilo Petrucci is a veteran. He had his experience in MotoGP, but yeah, still not a good look, but I could understand it. Then uh, the way they treated Miguel Oliveira was, uh, in my opinion, also uh, not uh, not very gentlemanlike because you have a rider who is arguably, not arguably, he is factually your most um, successful rider. He won all the Grand Prix uh, KTM ever won except from Miguel, uh, not Miguel, from Brad Binder in uh, Austria and in Bruno. And... Um, Miguel almost beat Marc Marquez in Germany. Miguel beat Fabio in uh, Catalonia. And he is basically the best rider. When he has a bike underneath him that works, he is a motherfucker. And KTM isn't able to provide the bike to him and to everybody. So they decided to uh, thank him uh, with offering him a demotion to the, to the satellite team, to, K- um, to KTM Tech 3. Uh, which is yeah not a good look you know so ktm has a history of uh of treating riders like shit simon patterson uh from the race.com had a very good article about this today i would encourage you to read it 
and um, yeah you have like Remy where I think he actually can make good progress when you see what he did last year he can be a solid model GP rider of course and to sack him after just half a season where you're like okay you have no chance of being there for next season is just embarrassing to me especially when you uh, want to when you want to replace him with a rookie. But they are also still negotiating with uh, Miguel Oliveira because the Miguel Oliveira Aprilia negotiations apparently are more difficult than everybody thought. So yeah, it could be an option. And uh, then the RNF spot could be open for Remy and for uh, Raul, which would be a little bit uh, of a Cinderella story that those two again switch teams together. But yeah it's uh it's just embarrassing in my opinion and uh, i would like to discuss the races now because uh, i feel like i i talked about everything which happened like outside of the track and uh, now it's time to dive in into the actual races where uh, peko absolutely dominated he uh, got the whole shot from the first corner and he was gone Towards the end, his front tire um, was a little bit uh, down, so Fabio caught up with him, but Fabio never was in contention of the victory and all this, yeah, what if uh, two laps uh, more, yeah, but they weren't two laps more, so you have to be in front after the, I believe, 28 laps, so yeah, Peko was uh, good, is he a championship contender now, in my opinion not, because Fabio is just too good. Um, I said it last uh, episode that Fabio had a very, very bad Arsene GP and uh, was unfortunate with the long lap and the rear tire in Silverstones. He had a series of two bad races, but generally Fabio always gets the maximum out of each race, which is why he's the championship leader. And uh, now he showed it again because he was such a motherfucker in Spielberg. He never should have been on the podium because the Yamaha is trash and uh, the two Ducatis should have smoked him easily. But Fabio is so incredibly skilled. He is doing miracles on a motorcycle, which is, yeah, like Casey Stoner on a Ducati back in the day or like Mark Marquez on the uh, Honda where nobody else could ride it except him. And um, yeah, he is all Yamaha has and he is so good. Because of that, I believe that uh, when everything goes like expected, that Fabio won't be, um, won't be, uh, yeah, won't be challenged too much for the title by Peko especially when you consider that Paco has a little bit of a habit of crashing when it comes to pressure situations. And maybe he's not mature enough to do so right now, maybe next season, who knows. But uh, yeah, Aleix is uh, also in the mix. He's still a championship contender. He also had a couple of bad races. And with the broken heel, it came at the absolute wrong time. But he could um, make up some ground, but I still don't believe that he will catch Fabio. Especially when you consider uh, that Fabio is, uh, like on paper, the more skilled rider. And 
yeah, Leish is doing his maximum. He's very consistent, but I don't feel like it's enough for the title. But, and this is a huge but, the overseas uh, races are a huge wildcard because Fabio and Peko went there as rookies in 2019, where I'm not sure if Peko really went because he had some injury battles uh, going on in the 2019 season. So I don't know. But uh, Fabio went there for uh, one season and uh, Peko also as a rookie. And uh, Aleish was there for a couple of seasons. He knows how to handle overseas races. He knows uh, those tracks. And yeah, he knows uh, basically uh, more than Peko and Fabio combined of what it's what it takes to uh, to compete these races on in in yeah late in the season on a MotoGP bike. And so overseas races are a huge wildcard. It could go either way. The Last time they went there, obviously, was 2019. The bikes developed since then massively. So you don't know what to expect. And, um, yeah, it's a little bit like uh, a little bit like uh, Argentina, where Aleish won. You know, it's like you went there one time as a, a rookie for Fabio and for Peko. And, um, yeah, Aleish won the thing. Maybe he wins there too. Maybe he can do uh, something at the off-season races. But, uh, yeah, realistically speaking, I don't see anybody catching Fabio because he's too consistent, he's too good, and he's always, like, on that line where it's as, as aggressive as you can get without being dangerous or without crashing, you know? And he is um, very good. That's why I don't see anybody beating him. He's on a different level right now. And in my opinion, he's the best rider in the world. So uh, another topic I would like to discuss is uh, Mark Marcus, because there are speculations of him uh, coming back this season. He said something like, uh, it would be foolish to wait uh, to be 100% to ride again, where... I have a different opinion where I think like especially Mark Marcus should uh, wait to 100%. But yeah, at the end of the day, he only knows. Uh, he knows when he crashes one more time, it could be his career end. I mean, every crash uh, there is, uh, is has the potential of uh, an injury. And when you have a body like Mark Marcus, um, the risk is even higher. So... But yeah, it's his decision and it would be very, very valuable for him to um, to come back for the Misano test, to test the 2023 Honda. Maybe he will just do this without the races and I don't see any benefit. There's also a speculation that he parted ways from uh, Emilio Altamora. Um, I don't know if that's true, it's just a speculation. But yeah, um, realistically speaking, uh, I don't see Marcus coming back this season because to me there's just no no point. Maybe he will compete in the, or not compete right in the tests, but yeah, apart from that, I don't really see uh, any value for Mark Marcus to come back this season. And uh, also, next season will be very difficult for Honda when Ayogura which is like the common belief that he will move up and um Sean Mio which is also the common belief that he will go to Repsol Alex Rins then they have two three new riders and Mark Marcus who isn't necessarily the most uh, experienced on this Honda on this new Honda 
So yeah, it would be a very difficult season. So therefore, I can see the value of Mark Marcus uh, coming back for the tests. But uh, let the man get healthy again. I mean, he endured so much where I don't necessarily think that it's a smart idea to do so. But whatever. Coming to Moto2, which is uh, very, very interesting because uh, when you talk about Moto2, especially at this time of the season, you always have like this, who's going to move up to MotoGP. And uh, I believe Vietti, with his crash, put the nail in the coffin. He ain't going to cut it for a MotoGP seat even. Um, if he wins the championship late on, I guess it will be too late. Uh, the common belief is like Ogura and Fernandez will move up, but also in the championship it's so close. I mean, Vietti kind of fucked it up right now. Still, everything's possible. I mean, the overseas are a even bigger wildcard in the smaller classes, but um, because like everybody's basically a rookie on those tracks then. But um, also, I believe Vietti is more out of the championship picture especially with his recent form dropping a little bit. And uh, then Ayogura, who did a very well job. He is uh, he's very calm, he's very collected. He always takes the points as they come, but when he's on it, he's on it. And yeah, the way he battled with Chantra, I don't know if Chantra really wanted to challenge him. Uh, I would assume so, because why wouldn't you want to beat your teammate? That's the first one you gotta beat. But uh, yeah, Augusto Fernandez uh, disappointed a little. So it's looking good for Ayogura. And especially when he figures out how to qualify consistently at the front row, he can be the man to beat. Um, especially when it comes to consistency, he is very consistent. And I guess this could be also the key for the overseas races. But yeah, and uh, Pedro came back. Pedro was um, out for, what was it? six weeks, eight weeks with the broken leg. And uh, he came back and immediately fought for the podium, which I didn't expect because you would assume then with a broken leg that you can't train. So he is completely uh, not off, but uh, he's far away from 100% fitness. And then to compete there, you often see it when injured riders race that they are good at the um, beginning of the race, but then drop off towards the end. I mean, you could argue that he dropped off a little bit in the last lap where Dixon overtook him, but still a very, very impressive uh, race from Pedro. Even uh, more impressive, I feel like, than Jake Dixon or uh, Chandra. Because I can't, I never broke a bone in my life, luckily. But I can only imagine how draining it must be, especially when you break your leg, that your complete fitness goes uh, goes down and then to compete in a MotoGP race is uh, yeah it's very impressive and I thought he was going to fade later on but Pedro didn't fade Pedro fought through and so impressive his uh, fourth position I would say um, yeah a top 10 if you if you would have offered him a top 10 before the weekend he would would have taken it um, but yeah, very impressive. And also with Pedro, he will probably stay in uh, Moto2. All the Repsol rumors are bullshit as far as I'm concerned. Just clickbait. 
but uh, yeah, it's a smart move for him. And also Sasaki in Moto3 with two long laps winning the race, very, very impressive. Unfortunately, I missed uh, most part of the Moto3 race because uh, Remy and I uh, met um, after the MotoGP warm-up, talked a little bit, so I missed the Moto2 Moto3 race. He gave me this wonderful cap, so I have to say uh, thank you again, Remy. And um, yeah, I just saw the end, but Zazaki, especially when you uh, hear all the comments he said, like, I knew nev nobody had the pace, uh, so yeah, it's it's rather funny. And uh, he's a very, very good, uh, very, very good rider. I was a little bit scared um, because Fabio, the last time when Zazaki won a race and Jake Dixon finished uh, third, he crashed. But uh, now he uh, managed to score the podium. So very good for Fabio. No bad luck, Zazaki. And yeah, um, when it comes to the episode uh, with uh, Medi, I mentioned earlier, there's definitely one in the pipeline because um, A, the whole women in MotoGP thing is very interesting for me. Um, so I uh, would like to talk about this and also he she has a very very wide perspective on what's actually going on inside the paddock so the episode is definitely coming up um it's a little bit difficult because she uh, is very busy with uh, work of course and she's traveling through europe with uh, her um her soon-to-be husband um is it fiance when you or is fiance just uh, the female version i don't know Hope you forgive me <laughs> that I don't know. But yeah, um, she's traveling Europe in the van. Uh, we met on Friday at the camping uh, space in Austria, which was very fun. There's definitely an episode coming up. I don't know when. I don't know uh, the topics. I don't know nothing. Basically, just it will come up. So yeah, very, very excited for this. Uh, maybe we can get one with Simon as well. And uh, I hope you enjoyed the, the episode, even though it's just a monologue. And uh, see you again in like two weeks after Misano. Goodbye.